John chapter 10, we're going to read the first 21 verses. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of sheep. To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes, not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep, and flees. And the wolf catches them, and scatters the sheep. The hireling flees, because he is a hireling, and cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And the other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. There was a division, therefore, among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He hath a devil, and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? So what we want to do here first is get this set into the chronological picture of this event. And to do that, we have to go back to John chapter 7. Verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. From John chapter 7 all the way through the text that I read today, this is the section of one event time. And it's during the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, and it's in Jerusalem, and there's been a division building among the people. Who is this man? This Jesus, who is he? And you can see some of the responses were, he's a madman, he's a devil, he's a sinner. Others say he's a messiah, a prophet. It is in light of these events that to try to trap Jesus, in John chapter 8, a woman was taken in the act of adultery, brought before Jesus, so that Jesus could be 
trapped into his determination of how the law was to be enacted. Should we stone her here? That's what the law says. Trying to trap Jesus into a quandary that if he says, yep, let's do it, pick up the stones, let's get this over with, then the people would hate him. And if he says, no, forget it, it doesn't matter, then the Jewish leaders would hate him. Instead, he said, well, everybody that's here that has no sin, go ahead, pick up the stones and start throwing them. And they all walked away. Still at the same time frame of the, the festival of the tabernacle, following on the hills of this adulterous woman, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This is significant because at the feast, there are four massive 70 foot tall candlesticks, if that's what you want to call them. And on top, oil would be lit and the entire hillside would be lit up from these massive candlesticks. And Jesus walks into that time and says, I am the light of the world. You think those are fantastic? and they are bright, and they're beautiful, and I outshine them. And then later in this, as he moves forward, and the arguments with the religious leaders continues on, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. All these are fitting in together now, folks. Chapter, verse divisions, fantastic so that I can stand up here and say, John chapter 10, verse 1 through 21. When they get divided like that, people often lose the context. John 7 was one series of events. John 8 is another series of events, totally unrelated. Wrong. That's not what's going on. So we come now to John chapter 9. After Jesus has spoken in regard to being the light of the world, there, Jesus comes across a blind man, blind from birth. And Jesus will heal him. Fantastic, right? He healed a blind man. Have you ever seen that done before? Why'd you do that? This is Sabbath day. Why'd you restore his sight on this day? Can you imagine that? That's what occurred. The blind man in that event caused all sorts of turmoil with the Jewish leadership. And the contention spills over into John chapter 10. And we can see that in the verses I read toward the end. There was a division, therefore, among the Jews for these sayings, the sayings that we're going to discuss. And many of them said he has a devil. He is mad, and hear ye him. Why hear you him? Others said, these are not the words of him that hath the devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? Referring back to John chapter 9. So all of these are happening sequentially and leading up to where we're at in our text. In John chapter 9, verse 26 through 28, Then said they to him, 
what did he what did he to thee how open he thine eyes and this of course is the religious leadership speaking to the blind man who had been healed he answered and said i've told you already you gotta love this guy right i mean of all the characters in the bible this one is pretty unique he goes i i told you already why didn't you listen wherefore you hear it again will you then become his disciples Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. And that all fits in to what's happening here in 10, chapter 10. Remember, we're at the Feast of Tabernacles. This morning's sermon was Moses' song after they were delivered. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles are about. It's a time that commemorates Moses leading Israel out of Egyptian slavery and bringing the people into the promised land. During that time, the sojourning through the Sinai Peninsula, the people had no permanent home. 40 years of wandering around in the desert, living in tents. And so to commemorate that, there would be the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of booze. It's one of the three required festivals that every good Jew is going to attend in Jerusalem. And everybody is swamping the city. It's overrun with people. They're living in temporary shelters. The streets are lined with this. Every little space that's available there's going to have a tent thrown up and people are going to live in that. Okay? It's a real festive time. A time of meeting with people that you don't see very often. There's food and celebration and remembrance, which is actually the purpose of it, is remembrance. Remember what happened back there with Moses? So the Pharisees proudly proclaimed themselves as Moses' disciples. And inside that picture is the fact that Moses spent 40 years as a shepherd. 40 years in Midian. His life is split up into three groups of 40. 40 years in Egypt becoming an Egyptian, 40 years in Midian to wipe off all the Egyptian and to become a shepherd, and 40 years with a grumbling bunch of Baptists, or I mean Jews, sorry about that. I got confused there for a second. No, I didn't really, did I? And that's what he spent 40 years doing. And the 40 years that he spent, he became a shepherd. In the context of all this that I've mentioned, the feast, the background of Moses, the entrapment by the leadership, all this takes place. And in the middle of it, Jesus stands up and says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door in the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. 
So did Jesus just suddenly arbitrarily just pick some idea and throw it out there on the, on the Pharisees and say, hey, I got this other thought. No, it's all connected. It's a series of events that lead up to Jesus saying, the shepherd man that you say you follow led his people out of Egypt. We are commemorating that now. And he's going to use these next verses to show those men that said they're actually Moses' disciples. He's going to show them as the false shepherds. That's who those men are. Now that takes some courage, doesn't it? Because you're going to be standing in their house telling these men, you don't belong to Abraham, you don't belong to Moses, and you don't even belong in my sheepfold. Now you see why people hated him back then? Those false shepherds ended up casting that blind man out of the temple. Well, why'd they do that? Wouldn't you want him to be around to tell everybody how great God is? Well, not if it's going to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. You're not going to do it that way. They cast him out. That's a big deal because he's ostracized from society, not just written off at the temple. But Jesus goes and finds him and presents to him that he himself is the Son of God. And it's from this imagery that Jesus is going to explain the difference between himself and those false shepherds. This section divides up into three groups. First off, we have verse 1 through 6. And uh, chapters 10, 1 and 2, we already read uh, 1, but we'll read it again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, but he that enters in by the door is a shepherd to the sheep, Jesus is starting off by attacking the Pharisees in these verses. It may seem rather subtle, but if we look back at uh, verse 40 of the previous chapter, and some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. In that context, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, there's a door, and there's a right way to enter, and that's by the shepherd's way, and anyone that's crawling over across the wall, he's not the shepherd. He's a thief. Think about that. They understood these words. They weren't illiterate or stupid in any way. He just called the leadership of Judaism thieves and robbers. 
but that's okay. He called them vipers before <laughs> and whitewash uh, uh, sepulchers and things like that. So he's already insulted them. What's a couple more points, right? And they were blind. They called Jesus a devil. They called him mad. They called him a sinner. How blind were they? They were actually blinder than the man who was healed. They couldn't see Jesus for who he was. After all that great religious training, all the knowledge of the Old Testament, the Messiah is directly in front of them, and they don't see him. So were they blind? Absolutely. And they'd set themselves up to be shepherds of the flock, guides and rulers for the people. But ultimately, they did not care about the flock of Israel, and they certainly didn't want Jesus messing up their good religion. Now, this imagery of the sheepfold, the shepherd's responsible for the protection of his sheep, protect them against predators, and to safeguard them against the cold. There are different kinds of sheepfolds. This is... Uh, coming from the study that I've been doing for Sunday school. And we've looked at sheepfolds and I have pictures for everybody. And there's different kinds of these sheepfolds. Uh, the temporary one for their journey from one field to another, they just take tangled thorn bushes and gather them up and make a little bit of a circle with one entry door. And a shepherd would sleep at that entrance. The more permanent type would be in a valley or on the side of a hill that protects against the cold wind. And this type of fold would be made of stone. And on top of it would be thrown thorn branches. So in other words, compared to our barbed wire at the top of the fence. You can climb a fence, but climbing up and having to tangle into uh, barbed wire will prevent you from really wanting to cross that fence unless you got something on the other side you got to have, right? So the shepherd would enter the sheepfold by the way of the only door that provided access. Climbing over the wall would be thieves and robbers. So why aren't those the same thing and the thief a robber and a robber a thief? Kind of, kind of not. The thief is more subtle. The robber acts with violence. The thief is going to find an easy access in to steal and hopefully get away without being caught. A robber doesn't worry about that. He's openly violent. He's just going to come in and takes what he wants. They plunder openly with violence. If you turn to Jeremiah chapter 23, how violent were those men? Those Jewish leaders, how violent were they? 
or when something went against their own personal religious practices, such as a blind man being healed on the wrong day of the week, well, you're just going to toss that guy out of the temple. You're out of our religion now. Get out of here, buddy. Knowing that that was going to ruin his life. So when we go back to Jeremiah chapter 23, this is approximately 600 years prior to Christ's ministry. Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Sound familiar? 600 years earlier, Jewish leadership had the same issues. Therefore said the Lord God of Israel, against the pastors to feed my people. Ye have scattered my flock, driven, driven them away, and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evils of your doing, said the Lord. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of my countries, whether I have driven them and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them, which will feed them, and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, says the Lord. All this fits into the imagery of the shepherd and the sheepfold and the care of the shepherd for his sheep and the promise of safety and security. But then, as he says this, there's going to be another shepherd, a greater shepherd, that's going to come in and do the things that are described there in verses 3 and 4 where he will remove fear and then lacking. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. See that in capital? And a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. 600 years prior, same imagery. Shepherd's going to be brought up. He's going to be in the lineage of David. That's that branch that grows out of that stump that was the Davidic uh, kingdom. And it's going to be a righteous branch. And he's going to be a proper king. And what's going to come from him? Salvation and safety. And he is going to be our righteousness. That's Jesus. That's being discussed in Jeremiah. And now he's on the scene. And the men that probably had those verses memorized are seeing our righteousness in front of their face and they don't recognize it. And they don't want anything to do with him. But Jesus comes on this scene and he says he is the good shepherd. He is the one that enters properly into the sheepfold. It's all others that crawl over the wall so that they can steal 
in John 10 through uh, 3 through 5, to him, that is the shepherd, the porter opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him for they know not the voice of strangers. Again, this is imagery. We covered some of this in Sunday school. In a sheepfold, if it was large enough, multiple shepherds could take their sheep and guide them into the sheepfold. And by the way, that's how sheep are typically thought as being led by a shepherd, unlike the cattle drives of the United States where the cattle are driven where they're going. The shepherd leads the way. And these multiple uh, flocks can be put into one sheepfold with the one door, with one shepherd. You know, I, I kind of see those guys drawing straws or doing something. You know what I mean? It's like one of us is going to stay there at the door and the rest of us are going to go sleep. And uh, who's going to win that battle, right? So the odd man out loses. And... One man will stay there to watch over and protect, providing safety, security against predators, against thieves. So the next morning, let's say you got three shepherds with 50 sheep each, all in one fold. And the next morning, how do you separate 150 sheep into three flocks of 50? Just call them out. They'll hear their shepherd's voice and they'll separate themselves, going to their own shepherd. And as you see here, it says, and a shepherd and a stranger will not, they will not follow, but they will flee, for they know the voice, know not the voice of strangers. So it's often thought that the shepherd would have certain catchphrases that he would use in order to get the sheep to follow. And they would become familiar with the phrase. They would become familiar with his voice. And the way that I always perceive it is like there's a hillbilly shepherd there. And he's going to go, all he has to do is go, y'all come. All right? And they're going to follow. Well, they recognize that voice. It's not just the words which they do recognize, but it's the voice. So if a strange shepherd came along and go, y'all come, the sheep know the difference. Words are the same, but the voice is different, right? They're not going to follow him. All that mixed up mess is going to separate itself. And they're going to follow the voice that they know, which is their very own shepherd. There's actually a story uh, from World War One when a group of Turkish soldiers attempted to steal a flock of sheep near Jerusalem. So the soldiers just went in like a robber, right? Took them, carried them off, walking them down the lane. And there's a single shepherd. How's he going to fight armed soldiers? I really don't have to fight them. 
He just says, y'all come. And they turned around and went back. They knew their shepherd's voice. And they returned to him. Because they knew these were strangers. They were trying to make a lunch out of them, right? I mean, what else was it for? You know, they're not going to be shepherds suddenly. They're soldiers. And the soldiers couldn't stop the sheep from returning back to the rightful shepherd. So we get to verse 6. This parable spake Jesus unto them, unto the Pharisees. It's the whole group, all the religious leaders. But they understood not. Why didn't they understand? The shepherd speaking. Not of his flock. They didn't get it. They understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. So Jesus says, ah, these people, I'm just going to walk away from this, all right? Mm, no, he's going to continue on. Verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. This starts the second section, which is uh, verses 7 through 10. So they didn't understand the first message, and Jesus isn't going about to explain it. He's expanding on it. This isn't like when he took the, the parable of the sower and took the disciples to the side and said, okay, I'm going to tell you what each one of those represents. Instead, he goes, I'm just going to pile on. I'm just going to make it worse for you guys. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Straight up, he's talking to that group of leaders, and he calls them thieves and robbers again because they didn't care about the spiritual welfare of the people. They only cared about their rules and having good long prayers to say in the streets and having a pious fasting appearance so that everyone would know how godly they were. With their treatment of Jesus made it clear they were far more committed to their own system than they were to God's word. They may have used godly words, but they did not have godly intent. But the sheep did not follow them because the Pharisees did not possess the life-giving voice of the true shepherd, Jesus Christ. That was a stranger's voice that the sheep were hearing. And when we get to verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Remember that one entry with a circle of stones or a circle of uh, brambles? And that shepherd would stay in that doorway. If wild animals tried to enter, the shepherd's going to protect them. And Jesus declares himself as the door to the sheepfold. It is Jesus. And through his person, and through his work, 
that his sheep will find nourishment, that they will find rest, that they will experience salvation. And that stranger's voice coming from the religious leaders only caused the people to flee. Jesus has called them thieves and robbers. And verse 10, he escalates. The thief comes not, but for to steal, steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. These men are worse than thieves. They're murderers. They only bring destruction. In Matthew 23, verse 13, Jesus said, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's face, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who had entered to go in. In contrast to thieves and destroyers, they have no concern for the flock. Jesus comes, speaks to his people, and gives them life in abundant, overflowing quality. Verses 11 through 18 is the last section. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now this imagery is that the shepherd would often name his flock. He would know his flock. He would know each individual sheep and give them pet names. Like if I were a sheep, I'd probably be called salt and pepper, right? You're like, where's the pepper? <laughs> he could identify each and every one. It said that in the darkest of night, a shepherd could touch each sheep and know which one it was because it was of his flock. And no sheep would know their shepherd. The shepherd was willing to risk his life to protect the sheep. Think about David. He fought a bear and he fought a lion because those animals took off with, his, with a lamb from his flock. He went after it. <laughs> He's going to protect his own. He knew the name of that lamb that got carried away. I'm going to go get him. That shepherd is going to take and lead those sheep. He's going to take them to cool, quiet waters. He's going to take them to safe green pastures so that they can feed and rest. And if anything, anything at all jeopardizes that, he jumps into action. This is Jesus jumping into action. Saying, these men are false shepherds. I bring you the words of truth. I bring you abundant life. They bring nothing but destruction. 
So if they were hirelings, they would run from the wolf, the bear or the lion, because they were not concerned with the safety of the flock. They were working for the money. And that was their only concern. In verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In contrast to the religious leaders who were nothing more than thieves, or as Jesus calls them, murderers and destroyers, Jesus was willing to lay down his life. Note the difference, the contrast between the two groups, the true shepherd and the false shepherd. Jesus is self-sacrificing, willing to lay down his life. And the other, the religious leaders, they're self-serving. Come down the pipe 2,000 years later, and what do you have now? Jesus still willing to be self-sacrificing. His sacrifice is still good today. And religious leaders are still self-serving. In verses 12 through 13, But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep or not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep, flees, and the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and cares not for the sheep. The hired hand is working for money. Dangers come, he's gone. They're not committed to the sheep. They're working for the weekend. Going through the motions of the job. But Jesus, he's committed to keeping, protecting, caring for, loving his own flock, even laying down his life for us. 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I laid down my life for the sheep. You'll note here that he repeats that over and over because he's talking to men that wouldn't give anything to save a blind man. Think about what that blind man was. Besides being blind, he's a beggar. The story doesn't go that the Pharisees picked him up, took him in, and fed him daily. Did you see that anywhere in there? What'd they do? They left him where he was at. Jesus searches him out and heals him. And those hirelings that were religious leaders became angry over the healing of a blind man. Because they cared not for him. Jesus' relationship with us, he has an intimate knowledge with us, and he shares that with his heavenly Father. And now in verse 16 is where we come in. Up to this point, it's been Jewish talk. But now in verse 16, and other sheep. I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. That's the Gentiles being brought in. That other sheep. 
contrasting himself again. The religious leaders of Judaism, would they have gone to a Gentile and presented, or would they have hated him, called him a dog, and cast him out? Jesus once again says, those men that the Pharisees don't want, those blind men, those Gentiles, those who seem worthless, I will lay down my life for them that they might have life more abundantly. Seventeen and eighteen, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. In this section, Jesus has identified himself as the door of the sheepfold, and the true shepherd, and the good shepherd, and now he's the obedient shepherd. Unlike those false shepherds that were presented as thieves and murderers, unlike the hired hands that run when danger approaches, unlike the earthly shepherds that may die accidentally while taking care of the sheep, the good shepherd voluntarily laid down his life. The power required to resurrect Jesus indicates that his voice has the power to sound out through the ages to call out his sheep from the world into his sheepfold under his watch care as our one true shepherd as our righteousness. Such a contrast of men and purposes all displayed in an imagery of a time and events. But still today, Jesus' voice rings out, calling his people. And maybe today there's someone here, hearing the words of Jesus, calling them out of a soul-stealing, destructive world, calling them into the path of righteousness to be led by the good shepherd, the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. I'll close by reading from Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 13. If that voice, you hear that calling you this day, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confesses. Confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between a Jew and a Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all that call upon him. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be watched over, cared for, loved, recognized and part of the sheepfold of Jesus Christ.